Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the How to Hunt Deer podcast, which is brought to you by Tacticam. This podcast aims to educate those who are interested in becoming deer hunters, brushing up on essential skills, or maybe just adding a few new tactics to the toolkit. Here we cover a variety of topics that are going to help you be more confident and successful in the field while you're hunting deer. Thank you so much for tuning in this week, guys. Uh, Man, seasons are opening all around the country. We have had some hunting going on down in Florida. We've had some hunting happening in uh, Tennessee, I believe Mississippi is is right around the corner. We've got a bunch of September openers coming up. I know for me here, September 9th is going to be a big day. Uh, yeah, and a lot to look forward to. My favorite time of the year, probably that time when anticipation is at its highest. Uh, but the potential to be sorely, sorely disappointed is, is, uh, is right there on the horizon. And that's because, um, man, early season hunting can be difficult. It can be tough. Uh, it can be tough to locate deer uh, for a lot of places that are uh, that have been running bait sites all summer long. Like I'm, I'm really sorry to report to you, but those bucks that have been, you know, daylighting at your bait sites probably aren't going to be doing so for a whole lot longer. Especially as soon as those acorns start to fall, as soon as the persimmons start to fall, man, things are about to change really, really quickly. And because of the shifting and changes that happens as bucks, you know, shed their velvet and they shift from their summer ranges into their fall ranges, because of a lot of that, I think we have in the hunting space really overcomplicated a lot about deer hunting, but especially when it comes to deer hunting in the early season. We've made it seem like almost an uncrackable code to find mature bucks during the early season time frame. And, you know, I'll be honest with you, it is difficult to hunt in the early season it is hard to do it is hard to kill an early season buck but it's not complicated right like it's not easy by any stretch but it is simple right like there are a couple of things that you can have in in line and then it just becomes a matter of putting in your time and putting yourself in the right positions and so to talk about that topic i've got my buddy tony peterson on you've probably heard tony on this podcast and a whole bunch of others. Tony hosts the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast. He writes for Meat Eater. He's in a bunch of their video content on YouTube. Tony definitely has the whitetail resume to uh, back up the things that he says. But one of the things that I love about Tony is he loves to hunt in the early season. He gets after it hard in the early season. He does things others don't do in the early season, like number one, taking some risks. Number two, hunting in the morning. Uh, and Tony just has a no-nonsense approach, right? Like, he's not going to shoot it to you like, hey, if you just try this method, you're going to get a buck. But he also doesn't make it out to be this thing that's nearly impossible. There are a few common-sense tactics, a few common-sense strategies, and things that you can put in your toolkit that Tony talks about in this episode that I think will make you a more successful early-season hunter and some things that I'm looking forward to trying. I learned a lot uh, and was reminded of a lot of stuff that I already knew but things that had kind of drifted to the back of my mind. If you want to get more from Tony, you can find him on the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast as well as on the Meat Eater.com. Now let's get into this week's show. 
Get ready to share your hunt this season with the Tacticam Solo Extreme Point of View Camera. Featuring one-touch operation, weatherproof housing, and mounts to fit any style of hunting, the Solo Extreme is sure to make filming your hunts foolproof and hassle-free. The Solo Extreme features up to 8x zoom, image stabilization technology that takes the shock out of the shot and lets you capture crystal clear, wide quad HD 60 frame per second footage. And you get all of this in a compact camera that weighs under 13 ounces. From now until August 31st, you can get the Solo Extreme and a stabilizer mount for just $149.99. And of course, you get free shipping with that. To learn more or pick up your Solo Extreme today, head over to Tacticam.com. Onyx Hunt is always striving to help make hunters more successful in the field each season. Onyx has just released a bunch of new features to help you on your next hunt. These features include new aerial imagery options like leaf off, recent imagery updated every two weeks with historic look back, and imagery on demand. On top of that, Onyx is reinventing the trail camera market by syncing your hunt app with multiple cell camera manufacturers and helping organize and analyze your photos right there in the app. You can try Onyx Hunt free for seven days or go to onyxmaps.com to learn more. Hunt in comfort this season with Camo from Huntworth. They make high-quality technical camo at a fraction of the price of other brands. My personal favorites for the early season include the Durham Lightweight Pants, which are rugged and durable with just the right amount of stretch where it counts, and the Shelton Midweight Quarter Zip Hoodie with built-in face mask. To make building out your kit simpler, their website now features their new system builder. This tool will help you grab the right camo no matter what season or species you're hunting. And right now, you can get 30% off with their preseason sale. Just use the code PRE30, that's capital P, capital R, capital E, and the number 30 at HuntworthGear.com. All right, joining me for this week's episode of the How to Hunt Deer podcast is Mr. Tony Peterson. Tony, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, buddy. Absolutely, man. Glad you could uh, glad you could make the time for this. We're sitting here, uh, man. We are almost done with August. Holy crap! Where did where did the where did the summer go, man? Oh, it's so crazy. It flies by faster and faster every year, and it's just uh, it's it's nuts. How you? I was just texting a buddy of mine, and he's like, "I feel like I'm totally unprepared for the deer opener that's coming in a couple of weeks." I'm like, "Yeah, every year." Every year this happens and it just, <laughs> right. we never, we never learn, I guess. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, man. My opener here is September 9th and I literally, as of right now, I've got a, I've got a confession to make. I do not have a single trail camera in the woods. I have nothing prepped and ready and uh, I'm, I'm just going to be flying by the seat of my pants for, for early season. I, I don't even know if I'm going to get out much for early season. I don't know. I'll go for, you know, probably the opener opening weekend just because I haven't been in a tree in a year. But yep. other than that, I, I think I may be saving it. But man, what is your what's your summer been looking like? I mean, your your kids are a few years older than mine, and I see the busyness level of my kids. Like I can't imagine what it's like with girls your your kids' age. Uh, hey, did you did you start recording? Yeah. Oh, okay. Because I have a thing that says it didn't. Okay, I just I oh, just wanted no to check. Oh, uh, so I'm not recording the video. Okay, uh, I'm recording here on my soundboard. Okay, thank I just you. wanted to make sure. Dude, thank but you I'll, for checking that, though. That would have sucked real bad. Uh, I'll, I'll pick it up at that question right, right there. Sweet. Man, yeah, my little girls are, they'll be 12 in December. And so we are, we're shooting like crazy. We've been fishing 
pretty hard this summer. And, you know, we start out hard after the smallies and fish, whatever. And then, you know, midsummer hits and we kind of switch to a lot more getting blinds up, getting cameras out. And so even though, you know, I was kind of joking about not being ready, I will say that this season I probably, oh man, I don't even want to say, I, I probably have, 12 to 15 stands out in different states and different spots stands and blinds i should say uh because i like to hit that early season so hard and i like to hit right. it with my girls so we are i should say that i'm i feel pretty good <laughs> right now like <laughs> i'm not i'm not stressing about not having enough you know i mean not, not having my stuff ready at home is a little different than feeling like i don't have stuff in the woods and the blind seasoned and all that and it's 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 not like gangbusters out there right now you know like I've, I've got some cameras out there and there's there's some deer around some bears around that we're gonna hunt too but there's so much natural food right now with the acorns and the apples soft mass hard mass all that stuff that i'm just kind of i'm kind of like willfully ignoring that i'm not getting a lot of pictures and it's not <laughs> you, you know what i mean like yeah. i'm just like I, I i'm gonna just put my faith in the fact that a lot of those natural food sources will kind of get cleaned up before the opener. And I'm just like, those, the deer will come. So, right. but right. yeah, I mean, I, it's so, it changes everything when you've got two kids and they can hunt Minnesota now um, with, you know, Minnesota legalized crossbows. So there's a, there's a whole opening situation there that we haven't had before. And I got a place to hunt right by my house now, a little, little property. So we have options this year that, have just so far been so fun. You know, I've, I've been going to some farms I've hunted a long time and I've been going over to Wisconsin to some land and setting up, but just, I forget what it's like to have a new property to work on and figure out. And man, I'm, I've been having fun that way. Yeah. Is, is that the property that you, uh, I, I think you mentioned it on the podcast uh, that you didn't think you were going to get where it yeah. like kind of started to seem like it was going cold. And then. Boom, yeah. So. Last year, uh, the guy, the landowner told me I could hunt it, but it was kind of like a in passing, maybe kind of, you know, like you're, you're like, this isn't like a locks locked green light situation. You're like, ah, maybe. Right. And I didn't, because of my, uh, meteor filming schedule last year, I didn't pursue it the way I should have. Cause I knew, I just knew I couldn't do it. Like I, it was, I had enough going on, but this year I ended up talking to him again and he's, you know, he's like, yeah, you, you want to hunt it? Go ahead. And he, and he bow hunts. He's never, he doesn't really know what he's doing. He just started. And so I was like, okay. And then I texted him, <laughs> didn't hear anything. And I was like, all right, this is, I, I know where this is going. This is fine. I, you know, I didn't get my hopes up. And then I talked to him one day just randomly and he's like, Hey, you want to go see the property and start getting it ready? And I was like, yep, like I'll put my boots on right now. <laughs> and so we went and walked it and I was like, I mean, we were, we were walking up on turkeys and bedded deer and I was like, oh my God, like, <laughs> okay, now I really hope this doesn't get taken away because that's going to sting. And we kind of made a plan and went in there with a couple of cameras and a couple stands and blinds and set them up. And then this dude, to his credit, you know, he, he I don't think he's ever gutted a deer. I'm, I'm not really sure. I, I know he hasn't killed one with a bow. But he went out and bought a couple of cameras and he's like, check this buck out, check this doe out. And he's like, 
he's hungry and, and low standards. So that part's been really fun too, just to not only for me to kind of figure out this new place. Cause it's, it's a, it's a gift for where I live to get a place like this, even though it's only 25 acres, uh, you know, there's a lot of turkeys and there's a lot of deer in there. We get a lot of tags here. It's just, you know, in 17 years of living here, this has happened to me like twice. Wow. And, 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 you know, I'm, I'm looking right. Like I'm always <laughs> like, Hey, I, you know, anybody got anything? I'll take it. Uh, so this is just, it's been fun. And there, there are a, a few big deer in there, but there's just like a consistent level of deer. Right. And so I'm like, man, just the opportunity now for me to go 10 minutes from my house and sit in a tree or take my girls into a blind versus like, okay, this weekend I'm driving two and a half hours here or five hours there. It has me so excited. Right. Yeah. That man, as I get older, as my kids get older, that proximity thing, like you just, you just can't beat it. Like, yeah, there are properties that are, that may be a little bit better to hunt. Like I may have better success on some, but man, the 15 minute pop down the road and hop into a tree stand, it just, I don't know. It, it brings the enjoyment back to hunting in a way that you can kind of start to get yourself burned out on if you do a lot of traveling. Now, does he have any idea who you are? I don't, I don't want to inflate your ego, but, but does he know so, who you are? Like who he invited onto his property? So randomly this dude's cousin is in the hunting industry and has a podcast and a brand. He's kind of more in the, in the bird dog side of things. Um, so he's, he was like aware that there were people like me out okay. there, but I, I don't think so. He actually texted me last night and he's like, I just randomly had this show called one week in November pop up. Cause we just dropped our new season for meteor for that. And he's like, Holy cow, man. And like, so I don't, I don't know. And it, it's, it's weird. Cause I'm, I don't know how to say this without sounding like a total prick. When, when I walk around the woods with a guy like that, they j- he just doesn't have the experience. You know right. what I mean? Like he doesn't know what kind of trees these are, what these tracks mean, like really kind of just doesn't, doesn't have like a good wood sense yet. And so we'll be talking and I'll be like, man, I think we should set up here for this. And he'll like, he won't understand really like until I, I really break it down. And that part is actually really fun for me could kind of, it kind of helps me do this job because I have to explain to somebody, you know, cause we, we get into this world where, you know, if you were to talk to my buddies, like my good buddies, they're pretty accomplished. Like, I mean, they've, they've hunted a lot of different States and even though, you know, they're not in the industry, like they've, they've been through a lot of hunting opportunities, hunted out West, hunted a lot of whitetails. And so you kind of get used to who you're around. Right. And, right. and, you know, and, and my job isn't to like, just talk to those people my, my job is to talk to everybody. And so taking my little girls the last couple of years has been an absolute eye opener. And then just setting up stand sites with somebody who's never done it and blinds and here's why we're doing this and what we're thinking. It really, it's, it's a really good thing for me. Like it forces me to understand like how to kind of explain some of these concepts and stuff. And like really for myself, instead of just kind of running on instinct and going, okay, well, I think they're going to be on acorns here or they're going to, they're going to get pushed into here for some reason. I have to articulate that with him, which just helps with the whole, like reaching my audience better. I think. Yeah, absolutely. It is. It is in itself preparation for, for what you do. Like it is, I was, I was reading a book um, actually by a pastor one time and he talked about people popping into his office as he's like trying to prepare sermons or that kind of stuff for the weekend. 
And he always viewed it as like a hassle because people are stopping in and like t- saying, hey, here's what I'm going through. Here's the struggle for the week. And then he was like, later on, I realized that like that was preparation. Like that was that was getting me in the in the correct mindset because I was understanding where people actually are instead of in just in theory where I think people are in my head or, you know, where I have sort of gone to throughout the week in this very disconnected uh, from the from the people who would actually be consuming this content. But, man, I gosh, I can't imagine owning 25 acres, though, and inviting someone to come in and hunt it. And then I go to watch a hunting show and I see that dude's freaking face pop up on youtube well i know and it's it's like a it could be a double-edged sword right like i what i was worried about with this is i you know me like i'm i like big bucks but i'm not like i'm not diehard trophy guy i'm just not right I, i especially now at this point in my career i'm 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 interested in big ones, but I'm also interested in deer and lots of venison and lots of other stuff. And so I'll I'll just give you an example. This, this guy was like, we don't really see bucks here till late October into November. And if you looked at his place, you'd be like, yeah, that, that kind of makes sense. There's a few farms nearby where those bucks are probably, you know, summer range type of deal. But as we walked his place, I was like, we're going to get some bucks on camera here. Like they're, they're here. They're just not coming into your yard. You know, like that's right. I was pretty confident of that. So some of the cameras that I hung kind of on the backside of his place, we've gotten some good deer on them and some consistent, you know, little bucks, medium size and a couple of big ones. It's just like a nice representation. And they're they're pretty consistent. And he's just blown away. But he's like every buck. He's like, look at this nice buck. Like, I'll shoot this buck in a heartbeat. I'm like, God, I love that so much. Cause it's, it's forkies to one fifties, man. And so what you always worry about with this stuff is if you start getting pictures of that 130, 150, whatever, they're going to be like, I don't want this person to shoot it. You know what I mean? And that's, that's always my concern. And so I have another spot here, uh, just kind of a gym buddy of mine who has 40 acres and there's another guy who hunts at one of his friends. And so I'm kind of like, if that guy tags out or whatever, I can hunt it. Like, I don't, I don't want to move in on there. I could hunt it whenever, but I talked to this guy the other day and he showed me a picture of a really nice, heavy eight pointer in there, velvet eight pointer. And he's like, yeah, look at the picture that, you know, the other guy sent me the other hunter. And he's like, he didn't want to show anyone this. And I, you know what I mean? Like you get, you get <laughs> yeah. a lot of that stuff on these small properties. Right. And I was like, I was like, you can tell him he can, he can have the first 12 cracks at that buck. I don't care. Like, I, I don't, I don't want to get into a pissing match over a 130 inch deer that I just don't care about that much. Right. But that, that's what happens. And, and so you always get worried about that. Like, man, I'm going to go put in all this work and then all the landowner, all of a sudden the landowner is going to be like, you know, those are my bucks. Like I'm going to, I'm going to keep them or whatever. And then, so that's, that's like, the, if you don't own it, that always is just like, you just hear it like in the background, like that's always a possibility. Yeah. And it can kind of, it can almost like hamstring you. Like you just, you don't want to, you almost shy away from doing the work, you know, where it's like, you you kind of want to just keep it at arm's length and, and worry about, you know, losing that, that permission or, or whatever it is. But uh, man, I had an instance this past spring, where I felt like this guy. So I got in on a lease down here in Georgia and me and my two kids, we chased around this specific Turkey. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was the same one goblin at the same spot, both mornings of youth season. 
We chased that turkey around, couldn't get him, had him on camera. Like the thing was just well-educated or something. I don't know. Um, we've got a bunch of really terrible hunters in the lease. Um, like ride their four wheeler from one high spot to the next, jump off, yawk on a box call for a second. They don't hear anything. They jump on and they ride again. Really tough turkeys to hunt. So I go in there. I miss opening day because at this point, my turkey season, besides my big trip, you know, to, to hit Iowa and Wisconsin, my turkey season this year was devoted to my kids. I get in there the next time and somebody had gone in there and, and killed that turkey. And I knew because he quit showing up on the camera because he had been in this area or whatever. And I get to the sign in and it was freaking Dave Owens from Penhody Project. I knew he lived close to me, but I didn't know we were going to be on the same on the same lease. So I felt like this poor guy with his 25 acres, he's, he's like, who did I just invite onto my property? Like I've got freaking Tony Peterson, uh, you know, on my ground. Let let me ask you this though. So yes, that he killed your Turkey or he killed the Turkey that you were thinking about, but would you rather have a guy like that go in there or the guys who are on their four wheelers blowing everything up? Right? No, I, I want him on there. I I would just want to be there at the same time. And follow yeah. him around and, you know, just see what he does, learn from yeah. him and be like, dude, how did you, even with this, with this specific turkey, how did you kill him, man? I got on him with my kids two days in a row. Uh, one day we couldn't move him. The next day we couldn't move him again. So we ended up bumping him. Um, but I waited, I waited out that turkey for four and a half or five hours with my daughter one morning. Uh, chased him around forever with my son the morning before. We ended up putting like six miles on trying to circle around and get on this bird. So... Yeah, I want I want him out there, and if we could fill up the rest of the spots with guys like him, that'd be even better. Uh, because dudes on four wheelers are about to about to be the death of me when it comes to turkey hunting. Man, uh, ATVs and side by sides are that is a over where I hunt in Wisconsin. You know, there's so much big big woods stuff with you know access trails and logging roads. That is like an ever present sound that just puttering of the four wheelers right. <laughs> like, and I mean it, you know it's it's one of those things I it makes me feel old like get off my lawn kind of thing because it drives me crazy <laughs> but it's also just a very typical there's very typical predictable usage around that right, right? Like you know you know where they're gonna go you know the weekends are gonna be a nightmare you know you can kind of plan around. It's kind of like when you hunt elk out West and in an over the counter unit, you're like, I know where everybody's going to start. I know where everybody's going to at least go for the beginning part of their, their hike in. So what now? And like, you know, and, and where are they aiming? Can I see a bunch of meadows on, you know, four miles in like, okay, a certain percentage of people are going to go there because they think the elk are going to be in the meadows. A certain percentage of people are going to peel off on this drainage. And you can kind of, if you don't get too worked up about that stuff, you can usually work around it at, to some level. It takes a while, but it's not, it's not always the negative that it feels like. It's not just purely a negative. It's an opportunity as well. Yeah, for sure. And man, I just, uh, I don't get, I don't get the mentality behind the way a lot of people approach hunting. And maybe it's, Maybe again, maybe I'm the old man, get off my lawn with, with when it comes to four wheelers and stuff. But it's like, I don't, I don't know of a world where it's a good thing to drive around in your four wheeler at eight thirty or nine o'clock in the morning while you're turkey hunting. I just don't, I don't see a world where that could be helpful to you. But yeah. um, anyway, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm working on a few, 
articles right now for Meat Eater that'll drop here in a couple of weeks. And I'm I'm at a point now. We, this kind of really has become obvious to me when I've been I've been Western hunting some, and you know, obviously hunting whitetails a whole bunch and turkeys. Patience is patience kills animals, right? And patience is going to become more and more of an asset as you know, like people driving four wheelers around, people finding about this unit, people getting into this public land. That the average hunter and this. I think this is worse out West because they're used to being able to walk down animals, but it's certainly a, a Midwest and Eastern concern too. People are not patient. Right. I mean, they are just, you know, they go hunt for an hour or two or whatever, and it's time to move or time to go in or time to walk around. And when you make that decision to go looking like that, you almost never do well. Right. You know what I mean? Like right. when you're talking about something like that too, where you're on a lease and it's high pressure, you know, people are working those birds every day of the season or working the deer or whatever. You're just not going to kill them that way. Right. Like all, all, all you're going to do is position those animals for somebody else who's going to figure them out and be patient. And I, I think, yeah. I think, it, you know, I mean, it's an easy thing to preach about, but I really think that, if you're like, if you're out there listening and you're like, I'm not very good at filling my tags and I don't care if it's turkeys on up to bull moose, like patient, learn to be patient, learn to sit longer, like sit an extra hour or two hours, make sure you can figure out ways to be out there more, especially when you're talking eight thirty, nine o'clock in the morning and everybody's, everybody's done with their like roost hunt, right? right, right. Like, oh man, you want to kill a pressured bird. You, you do the lunch shift, right? you know, yep. like. I mean, you just gotta, and this, the same thing happens a lot of times with whitetails too, where you get way better late morning and early afternoon movement sometimes than people would think in conditions you would never predict for it. Partially because of that, probably almost exclusively because of pressure. Right. For sure. For sure. Well, man, I, yeah, I, I want to shift topics here just a little bit, but you're, you're so right. And I've been thinking about a lot lately, like knowledge because of what the hunting media has become today, knowledge is no longer the lowest hole in the bucket uh, yeah. for hunters. Like woodsmanship, patience, a lot of those really intangible things that you can't learn from a podcast or an article or a video, those are now the lowest hole in the bucket. And those, unfortunately, are going to be very difficult for people to learn because they only come one way. Like it, it, it only comes through trial, error, and just putting up with the suck for a little bit. Yeah. But well, that I mean, that's that's what we're missing is we've we've sold this message of how to kill, you know, good deer, wherever, how to kill turkeys, wherever. But you can't you you can blanket statement that stuff. And I mean, you can even drill down to specific tactics, right? Like being a bed hunter or whatever. But the truth is, like you're talking to individuals who might not have a clue how to set up who might not have a clue how to move in the woods. I mean, they're, they're, like right. you don't know. And there's some of that stuff, those intangibles you're talking about, they're the most important. Right. Like they, when you, I mean, just think about if you, if you sit in a tree stand and you, you know, a cameraman over your shoulder or a buddy or whatever, if, if you're hunting with somebody who doesn't have the experience, just watch how they move, watch how little they notice. Like they're not looking, they're not thinking about their movements and if you're, if, you know, we sell this message of like, be the big buck hunter and that's it. It's like, man, you're really limiting your scope. 
Like if you don't, if you don't enjoy turkey hunting or getting out there and hunting small game or doing something else, you, you might master a property for whitetails mm-hmm. somewhat, but you'll never really level up as a hunter overall and, and build up some of those kind of transcendent skills that you could use for anything. And that's like the missing piece. And it's, it doesn't sell well. Cause you're like, Hey, go hunt for 10 <laughs> years, you know, get your ass kicked, struggle, struggle, struggle. And then you'll start to get somewhere. But those are like, those are the growth moments. Like the, that kind of stuff, when you learn that woodsmanship and how to be a part of that environment, that's when you level up. Yeah. So I, what I'm expecting now is the next article from Tony on Meat Eater is going to be one sentence that just says, go struggle for 10 years and then keep going and it'll be okay. And that's just it. Like that's, this is how to kill big deer. And that's, that's your one sentence article. Well, you know, there's a, there's like a joke in the fitness industry uh, that you could write the, you could write like the ultimate get fit, get skinny book. And it would literally be one line, like burn more calories than you take in. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, but then you think about that industry. It's a, there's a, like a very good parallel there, you know, to like to getting in shape or losing weight to killing whitetails. Like we really create a lot of static and a lot of like, you know, salesy kind of things around it. Like, here's your new thing. Here's your, here's your shortcut. Here's your get rich quick thing. Here's my strategy. Cause look at me. And it's like, it, it's a really, it's pretty simple. Right. I mean, it, it really is like, these are pretty simple problems to solve. It, that doesn't make them easy to solve. And that's the problem, but they're not, this is not a, like losing weight is not a complicated thing. It's just hard, you right. know, killing a mature buck or killing a buck or whatever caliber makes you happy. It's not that complicated most of the time, but that doesn't make it easy. That's and right. that's, that's the problem. Hey guys, just want to take a quick minute to let you know that the how to hunt deer podcast is brought to you by Tacticam makers of the best point of view cameras on the market for hunters and anglers. They're on the cutting edge, making user-friendly cameras to help the everyday outdoorsman share your hunt with friends and loved ones. Their new 6.0 camera has a ton of upgraded features this year, but the one I'm most excited about is the new LCD touchscreen. In my mind, that's a total game changer. And one area Tacticam really shines is with their mounts and adapters that are made with the sportsman in mind. If you've tried to film your hunting and fishing excursions in the past, you know how frustrating it can be to get an action camera aimed just right or get it attached to your weapon or in a good spot for a second angle. Well, Tacticam makes all of that a breeze with their line of accessories. This fall, I'll be using their stabilizer mount on my bow with the 6.0 camera and their bendy clamp paired with the 5.0 wide camera for a second angle and to make sure I don't miss any of the action. To learn more and check out their full line of products, head over to their website, Tacticam.com. Share your hunt with Tacticam. And that leads perfectly into what I wanted to talk to you about today because there are a lot of... Um, a lot of things out there today that they almost specialize and we'll call it videos or articles or podcasts. Even, even I'm guilty of it. I think at times of taking something that is very simple, that is killing, killing deer, right? Finding, getting myself in close proximity to deer. We'll just limit it at that. Just getting close to, to deer or animals and we overcomplicate it, right? Like we, <clears throat> we make it out as if, you know, there's this 37 step approach and if you do these 37 steps in the right order and you hold your face just right while you do it then and only then will you find success and then we begin to market that as like the secret 
right? And that's the secret that we're selling to people and that we're promising to people. Like if you if you listen to my show, then you're going to get this 37-step secret and uh, then hopefully you can be like the rest of the big buck killers. But I wanted to have you on because of that exact thing. You're like, hey, it's not easy, but it is simple. There are some simple things. And also because I don't really hear you ever say words like never and always, uh, you don't tend to dabble in, in the absolutes. Uh, and what I mean by that is um, go out early season, find a buck bed, crawl within 60 yards, climb up the tree, and you will kill that deer. Like, Or if you just use this strategy or plant this specific kind of food plot, like if you plant this blend that I'm trying to sell to you, then you will have mature bucks in daylight in your food plots. Yep. You don't do a lot of that stuff. No. And I... That comes from how I grew up hunting partially. Right. Like we just, we just, we just hunted, you know, like we, we just went every chance we could, we hunted like that was it. And you just learn a lot. And when, you know, when I, when I started chasing public land bucks, that was, and I've told this story a million times, so I'll keep it short, but you know, I was at Peterson's bow hunting magazine and I was editing all these articles on, you know, what you're talking about, right? The perfect food plot, the perfect, find the perfect pinch point funnel, whatever. Here, here's your answer in 2000 words or less. And I just realized like, that's so not relatable to my situation. And people were contacting us often. Same thing. Like, okay, this is great. You know, this Southern Iowa property is great for that guy, but I hunt Northern Michigan. You know what I mean? And so right. you just look at it and go, okay, so what are the, if our situations are so variable and so different, like you work a nine to five, this guy works second shift, you know, I have land in my backyard. I can hunt. This guy has to drive 45 minutes to hunt public land. Like all of our situations are so different. So like, what are like the, the things, the elements that kind of just fit into everybody's hunt? Like, what can we do? Like, what can we own? That's just going to work no matter where. And so I always kind of, I, I kind of looked at it that way. Like, even if you don't have this, or even if you have that. And so one of the things that I always think about with that is instead of, instead of, you know, I, I, I don't want to discourage anybody from taking in information. You know, I mean, you can, even if you can't hunt like Andy may, you should listen to him talk because it's inspirational. Right. Right. Like, and, and a lot of people are like that, but what I would say is understand that your entire hunting situation is very unique. Like you are in a very unique spot because of your life, you know, your skill level, your experience, where you're hunting, your season, your, the county state on down the line. And then you get into the weather and all this stuff. So we, we kind of get overwhelmed that way. But I think the best way to look at it is to, you know, scout, make your plans, follow, follow some kind of structure to, to set yourself up and then go, all right, what's going to go wrong? And how do I kind of anticipate that? Cause I think, I think one of the biggest problems a lot of people have is they go, well, I'm going to sit this bean field opening night or opening week and it's going to be money cause they're hitting the beans. Then you go show up and it's a dry year and the beans are all yellow and the deer aren't quite using it the same way or the acorns are dropping like crazy or you did so much work to have evening setups. You have nothing to do in the mornings. And I always look at that and go, this whole thing that we do when you're talking whitetail specifically, all, 
almost all of our good plans blow up. Right. I mean, it's just so consistent, right? It's weather, it's conditions, it's something that you just couldn't see coming. It's people coming into your spot or that guy on the four wheeler we're talking about. So often our, our like plan A blows up. So what's plan B? You know, like, have you, have you anticipated some of this stuff and have you, have you set up a few places or spots where you're like, I don't think anyone's going in here. Or if the beans turn and they're on acorns, I can get into this flat, figure it out. Like, so you're not, you're not struggling or pushing a program you don't believe in anymore. Cause I think so many people go out and they hunt without any faith that they're going to do any good. Mm Mm-hmm. Cause it's easy to go to this stand or it's like, I, I, I put, I hit, I put so much faith into this program for this time. You know, you see this with the rut all the time. Like, well, I got this pinch point or I'm going to set up on this little food plot and put a decoy out. It's going to happen. Then you go out and you blank. It's like, okay, well now what? Like, are you going to just keep doing that? And that's, that's what most people do. Or that's the, that's the person who gets down at eight 30 and goes and walks around and tries to shoot one. They don't have any faith in their plan. And the more that you're just working towards something where you're like, okay, this happened and that sucks. Cause I wanted to hunt here and I wanted to hunt this way and it's gone. But, but I have this, I'm going to go try this now. Cause I believe this could work too. That's so important, right? Like some base level of confidence in what you have going on, especially when, when your plan a blows up is like, I cannot stress how important that is for people. Yeah, man, there's, there's so much there in your answer, like adaptability, learning to anticipate what could go wrong, like actually putting your plan and your thought process through a filter that can admit that you could be wrong. Uh, you know, that, that I feel like for a lot of people is a big thing. The third one, just knowing your property well enough. Like, I feel like a lot of times because of the way scouting has been sold to us, we may be really, really familiar with like, man, there are beds all over the end of this point over here. It's like, cool. Uh, and so you're thinking they're going to get up out of those beds and head to the beans, right? Yep. That's what they're going to do. All right. What if they don't like, what, what if they're not bedded there? What if they're not headed to the beans? What if the oaks start dropping. Where are the oak trees? Well, I don't know. I scouted the beans and the beds. It's like, there's yep. so many pieces there of just knowing the property, <clears throat> but there is tremendous value in having that plan. There's, there's value in having something as a starting point, as a reference that you can then sort of shift from when it comes to Tony Peterson's early seasons, like, where are you, what, what's your starting point? Like, as you even just begin to, to formulate plan a, specifically thinking early season, where are you starting? Well, I, I always try to make sure I have the easy stuff out of the way. So let's say, you know, this year I'm going to start Minnesota in Southeastern Minnesota on a couple of private farms. I'm going to be sitting on beans and alfalfa in the evenings. Cause that's easy. Like right. I might catch a buck, you know, slipping, right? Like I might catch one that's just not onto the program that the hunting season's open and I might kill them opening night or a couple days into it. And so I just, I look at that and I go, have that dialed, give yourself spots for this wind, that wind. If it's, if it's hot, they'll, maybe they'll be here cause it's closer to water or if it's, you know, going to rain or if the beans are going to be yellow, do you have a, do I have a standard to in a low spot in the field that might stay green longer? You know, like a, I just, I can predict the future that way. And so I go, okay, I'm going to cover those spots because that's going to play into an early season hunt. 
do that, make sure that's dialed. And then it's like, okay, what about mornings? Cause I'm not going to go walk in and sit a bean field in the morning. So that's where, that's where a lot of this planning on access routes and if the acorns come into play, if the beans turn yellow and I, I spend so much time thinking about and scouting for morning spots in the early season. So I, when I have that four or five day window to hunt, I'm not only hunting half the time I could. Right. And so that stuff for me, I'll get, I'll give you an example of one stand I have set up that I'm real excited for, for, I'm going to probably be their opening morning in Minnesota. And it's a, there's a hundred acre field on this property that has a waterway through the middle of it. And so the whole thing butts up to this wooded hillside, the deer will go in there and bed, they'll bed in the corn too, but that waterway is between two cornfields. So the access is incredible for a morning, right? I can park way out on a County road and slip in there. And unless they're in the waterway with me, there's no deer are going to know I come in there, but the neighboring property over has soybeans. There aren't any soybeans on this property. I know there's a really good chance there's going to be deer in that soybean field. They're going to cross back over before first light. They're going to work their way through. And some of them are going to cross this waterway to go bed on the other side. So I'm coming in the opposite way they're at. There's so unlikely to bust me, hear me, see me, smell me. And some of them will probably come in through there as they filter back to bed in the morning and finding places like that is, you know, it's, it's so much more work than going to sit a bean field stand in the <laughs> afternoon, right. but you put yourself in the game with that. And, you know, if I don't, you know, we always look at this and go, well, I'm not going to sit a morning cause I might blow them out or burn my spots for later. There's, there's no value to me if I don't believe I'm going to kill one here. And I look at it and go, this stand I'm talking about, I might kill one there, but I might see one and I might see one do something that clues me into where to sit for the evening. Or should I, should I pop a morning stand over here on this edge or whatever? And you're, you're kind of, you're kind of playing it safe, you know, like you're trying to be really good with your access and everything, but you're also going to learn. You're also going to have a chance to kill something. And so I, I look at that and go, when you give yourself options like that, you're going to win. Eventually you're going to win. And so for me, that's my whole strategy is like, make sure I do all the work to cover the easy stuff. That's only going to last me maybe a week. And then it, I'm going to learn something along the way if I don't kill something. And I'm, I'm giving myself a chance to hunt every time I can, where I have at least some faith I'll either kill one or I'll, I'll learn something. Right. And that's important. And I, you know, when you talk about like the always and never thing, when you, when you look at how often people hunters make an excuse to not hunt, it's always, it's, it's not always, but it's almost always because of something they've internalized because they've heard it. Like you just don't hunt mornings this time of year or on my property, I can't get in here because of this, or I can't hunt this place because of this. I'm like, do you know this or are you guessing? Mm. Cause there's a big difference there. And so often people kind of get paralyzed and they won't, they won't try stuff because they think they're, Oh, I'm going to blow deer out of here in the morning. I'm like, who cares? Like who cares? Like what if you go in there and you blow them out, but you set up and a bunch more come through. 
Right. You know, those deer are out there all night long running away from coyotes and snorting. And like, it's not this huge thing that's just going to shut you completely down. And I think so often we go, well, this is, this is too risky. I'm not going to try it. And I'm like, that's how you learn everything. Right. You know, like you, you know, it's best to put in a bunch of thought beforehand and do the work as best you can. But sometimes you just got to go like, I, I don't know if I can get onto the edge of that bedding area in on September 27th, but I'm going to try. Yeah. I'm just going to try. And if you go in and you blow them out, like, I don't know who cares, you know, like you look at, I, I look at how cautious a lot of private land hunters are on stuff like that. Cause they're like, I'm going to save this. I don't want to ruin this. And so many of them don't kill good deer and then you look at people who are really good on public land and those deer are getting bumped out of their bedding areas all the time right they're getting hunted all the time you know people bad access driving in driving out what you know small game hunters and yet there are guys still going out there figuring those deer out and getting them killed right and it's like it's because they're not coming into it going i can't do this they're going i'm gonna try this right and there's a big difference for sure and that man that's such a good point my my whole strategy for the place where i hunt in wisconsin revolves around waterfowl hunters and dog walkers and pheasant hunters like if not for those people being on that property influencing the way that deer move and use the property i don't do well so I went uh, in September last year, <clears throat> really struggled because the deer were not where I thought they should be because there hadn't been the appropriate amount of pressure. All of a sudden, pheasant season comes in, and guess what? The deer are right back to doing good yep. old predictable what I thought they should be doing. And I realized, like, man, my strategy for this place really, really depends on what people are doing. Um, but you, you brought up something there that I think – and I think a lot of it has to do with, again, media and kind of how we're thinking about hunting. Um, being okay with bumping some deer. Being okay with going in on a hunt that I'm not like, yeah, I got a 98% chance of killing this buck tonight when he stands up out of his bed. Like, it's okay to get in there and say, I need to learn some stuff. Because one mistake, like, hey, oh, I can't get in here quiet enough after all. I am going to bump the bedding area all out, and they will not come back. Well, like, great. Now you learned that for next year rather than making a bad assumption that could impact your next five or 10 years of hunting on this place where you just keep yeah. doing it the same way and keep having the same results because you never actually tested it and tried it out. One thing I want to talk about, because you mentioned hunting in the morning, you, you said recently on your podcast, a, a really great point. The common thought today is that a buck leaves the food source, even in the early season, gets back to his bed before daylight and he lays in that bed or maybe stands up, stretches his legs, and lays right back down. And that's the only bed he's in all day. That's the only spot he's in all day. And he doesn't move again until, you know, 45 minutes before the sun goes down. Talk to me a little bit about what those deer are actually doing. And in your experience, where you've had luck in the morning, because if that buck really walked from that bean field to his bed, laid down, and didn't leave that 45-yard circle for the whole day, he is impossible to kill, but yet we see all these deer dying in the early season in the mornings. So what's going on? They, you know, if you, 
I, I spent quite a bit of time a long time ago trying to figure out how to glass in the mornings like you do in the evenings just to see to see what I could see, like right. to see what I was missing. And I'll tell you what, it is really hard to glass big bucks in the morning. <laughs> and yeah. what that taught me was, OK, they do get off of those fields early. Right. Like just just generally, not always, but just generally they're back in the cover pretty quick. Like they for whatever reason, they're way more. They're way more tolerant of being in a place they might be watched in the afternoon than they are in the morning. But when you hunt mornings a lot in the early season, it's for me, it's so often where you would think it's going to be like a first light deal or nothing. And those deer, those especially those mature bucks will come browsing through at like nine, 10 o'clock in the morning. Right. And I go, you know, I've had it happen so many times where I'm like, I know where you came from. I got a pretty good idea where you're going and you're here now. Like, so you've spent some time messing around and browsing or making rubs or whatever. And you just realize like you have such a better opportunity in those early season mornings than people think it's just really you got to think where you park, how you get in. There's, there's different concerns with morning hunts. Like it's always, for me, it's always way more work to get into my early season morning stands. Cause I'm usually going way around something to avoid detection, but it's worth it. And again, you know, like if you sit there and you go, well, I can't, I, this won't happen on my place. Cause my trail cameras show me that the bucks are here too early or whatever. Or I don't get any movement. I'm like, just try like right. just try because what you think you know from that little glimpse of trail cameras or what you've been told by the hunting industry like man it's not that's not a universal thing like it doesn't just work for everybody in every situation and sometimes if you're you know like if you're a public land hunter and you're hunting early season stuff most of your competition believes it's not worth going you'll still get people who go out but you look at the difference in pressure between a morning and an evening sit it's a lot of times vastly different, right? Like vastly different. And so it's just, it's just like not a hard and fast rule. And it, the other thing I should say on this, that it, I, I kind of thought about, and I forgot, but you brought up something. So let's say you have your early season plan laid out and you're like, the big bucks are coming here in the afternoon. So I'm not going to hunt the mornings or I'm not going to do the work to figure it out. I always look at mornings in the early season and just certain times, like in, in October when I hunt, where I'm like, I'm going to go hunt this place and just hunt deer. Like I'm, I'm wide open to shooting a doe in this spot right now. And that's, that changes how I approach things. Like if I go in and I'm like, it's one forties or bust. It's I hunt differently. Like I can feel it, you know, like, especially when that confidence is low, but if I go in and I'm like, man, I've got all day to butcher one. If I, if I get a good shot, <laughs> you're in the, you're in the game in a different way. It's kind of like, if you watch a really good bird dog work in cover, you can tell when they believe in the cover. You know what I mean? Like right, young, right. young dogs will give you those false positives and they'll wag their tail like crazy on everything. But an old dog, you know, you can tell them you better get in there and hunt, hunt them up and they'll look at you and they'll humor you and they'll go over there, but you can tell they know. <laughs> they're just not in it. Yeah. The effort isn't yeah. there until, until you get where the birds are. Right. And it's like, I feel the same way. Like if I go, if I go hunting and I don't have any belief in it, I'm like that old dog. That's like, yeah, I'll go sniff these cattails or whatever, but there's nothing there. Like I'm not putting in the right effort. And it's, it's so important to just like 
figure out how to keep yourself kind of in that zone and keep yourself in the game. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think too, there's a lot, like you said, there's a, there's just a lot to be learned. Like maybe we get in there and we see something because, you know, I mean, you look at different studies of, of radio collar deer and whatnot and what they're doing during the day. I mean, they'll bed near the food source, you know, they'll leave the food source, obviously early, they'll bed just off the food source. And then an hour later they get up and they work just a little further in and then they lay down again. And then an hour, you know, by midday, yeah, they make it to this, you know, huge bedding area, three quarters of a mile from the ag field, but they didn't beeline it there. That may be their third or fourth bed for the morning. And yeah, they may spend the midday and on through the afternoon there, you know, and then that's the bed you watch them get up out of. But man, they've hit three other beds before they ever made it to there. And that is where I think early season hunting strategy can really set you up well. If you can begin to find well, you're, you're reverse engineering from staging areas and bedding areas that are near food. You get between the ones that are near the food and the ones that are further away from the food. All of a sudden, you've got, you've got a whole other thing in your pocket where you're hunting bed-to-bed movement and can actually have some confidence in that, yeah. if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, dude, I think it totally makes sense. And I, I think if you could see, you know, even if you have a small property, I think if you could see just like a, a you know, bird's eye view of that place every day and where deer moved and how much they moved and, you know, mm-hmm. who came in from the neighbors and who left, I think it would blow our minds how much deer movement is out there every day during daylight. We're just not there to witness it. Right. And a lot of times when we are there, the movement isn't going to happen there because we're there. Right. You right. know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I think, I think if you could see even just mature bucks, if you could see how much ground they cover, that's just in the cover, it would, it would blow people's minds. Right. Right. Man. One of the things that I, uh, that I want to ask you about has to do with trends that you observe. Um, because you've been, I mean, how long have you been in, in the outdoor space? Uh, in the, in the bow hunting space since 2006 or seven. Okay. I can't remember. So, so it's been a minute or two. Like there are yep. people who weren't, who weren't alive then who are now full fledged <laughs> bow hunters, like, you know, hitting the woods on public ground by themselves this fall. So like, ouch, you, <laughs> ouch man. <laughs> sorry, sorry to, sorry to put that on you quite like that, yeah, but it's all right. Buddy. But, but just to say there's some, there's some experience there you've watched because of your position, you have watched trends come and go. You've watched the industry change over, I mean, what really may be the most uh, constantly changing portion of the outdoor space or bow hunting space, let's say. What are some of those trends or fads that you're seeing out there right now that you're thinking to yourself, yeah, this may be catching a bunch of people's eye, but in three years, no one will be talking about this anymore? Hmm. I don't, I don't. You have to let me think about that. Yeah. One one of the trends I think that that bothers me the most. I, I shouldn't I shouldn't put it that way. One of the trends I think that holds people back the most, that's just never gonna go away and only gonna get worse, is this uh you know, I can manage deer, I can grow deer, I can name them, I can keep them around, I I have some sense of entitlement to this buck because he's been here. That kind of mentality it's fine if you have that property like it's that's go nuts i don't care right but most people don't and a lot of people are taking advice or taking taking some kind of cue from that style and it does not transcend like if you if you hear somebody 
I, I don't care how tough they tell you their hunting is. Like, I don't care if they're like painting it as like the hardest hunting ever in the most high pressure state. If they're like, I pass up bucks and they come back and I name them and I wait until you know, this is my one five and a half year old or whatever this year, they don't have that tough of hunting. Right. Like it's just, it just generally that way. Right. Like if you can count on deer living there and staying there, that's a different thing than most people are dealing with. And those people are really good at like raising deer and keeping them around. So there's like that component too, but we take like the general hunting population takes a lot of, uh, they, they get a lot of advice from that world. It doesn't work for most people. Right. They, people are, people are looking at that as if that works on public land or their little 30 acre property or even a hundred acre property or whatever. And it just doesn't, it, it, I think it sets people back in a way that's not very good, you know, and some, some people just like that style, whatever, like I don't, I don't care, but if you look at that and your situation really isn't conducive to that style of deer management and deer hunting, you're, you're mostly setting yourself up for disappointment. Right. Cause it just, it just doesn't work that well for a lot of people. And I, that's sort of bled into everything, you know, and it's the big buck thing, you know, like it's, it's a trophy deal, but there are so many hunters out there in so many situations where that is not re very relevant. That's not, it's not a real, it's not a real good style for them to emulate. Yeah. And I, I think one of the reasons that people do emulate that, I mean, I, I am guilty, man. I shot my first buck the next week I was at the library buying like or checking out like every book I could about hunting, hunting bucks. Right. Like I just wanted to get on that buck and because the people who are good at that and who have those properties um, can be consistent when they kill big deer. They're overrepresented when it comes to books, articles, Huge. media, like in general. They're way overrepresented in the space. And it gives off the impression that this is what everyone who's out there killing big deer does. No, they just are able to kill them on a, on a different scale uh, simply because it's a lot more like farming than it is like what uh, what – you know, somebody's doing out there on public ground, not to knock it. Like, man, if I win the lottery tomorrow, I'm buying a thousand acres somewhere in the middle of Iowa that I'm going to grow some big deer on. Can't wait to do it if I could ever do that. But until that day, uh, I'm going to be out there schlepping it on public land like the rest of everybody. And those, those strategies are probably not going to work uh, quite as well. So, uh, man, what's one thing that you're like, hey, guys, you got to stop doing this thing in the early season, uh, and it'll start to pay off quick. Um, I would say the, the biggest thing about the early season is people, people often don't understand how quickly patterns change and how quickly food sources change. Right. And like in their, in their like palatability and their desirability with the deer. Like I think, I think we hunt on memories a lot and the early season, when you look at, I mean, this is across the whitetail range, pretty much you have a, a guarantee that food sources are going to change and that's, and, and you have an influx of pressure. So you have two huge things that can influence deer movement and predictability. And, and we don't plan for that very well. So I always, I always think like, 
understand, you know, if, if you're going to do the early season thing, understand those food sources out there that go beyond just the destination food that you might have to hunt. You know, I mean, this, this is why if you take somebody who's like a big woods hunter and I'm talking, you know, up North or down South where it's like, you don't have that ag field as kind of a crutch that produces some pretty good hunters, right? Cause they have to find browse. They, they have to find mast. They know their deer aren't visible, <laughs> you know, like right. they're not going to be able to observe them the same way. So they got to work sign. And so they're, they're like way more in tune to figuring out what's, what's going on right now. And they don't, they don't take it so hard when what was going on and isn't anymore. And so the more you understand that stuff, the better, like the more you're just like, okay, if these, the acorn thing's so hot right now and it's, it's going to dry up. And when it starts to what's next, yeah. how does that affect them? And it, it, it I just, just the more people think about that kind of thing, I think it's just good. Yeah, man, that, that's a, that's a really, really good point. Especially if you're in a big wood setting and you've got multiple species of oaks that are going to be dropping, like you can time that out. You can start to put mm-hmm. those pieces together. I was talking with, uh, with Josh Honeycutt and he was one of the ones that really first, I mean, I'd kind of had this thought process developing, but I hadn't put it into words yet of, uh, you know, when we talk about hunting an early season pattern, we're realistically talking about something that lasts for three to seven days. I mean, you're not, I always had this impression growing up, you know, watching the juries online or watching the juries on the old, the old VHS tapes, right? When I thought of a buck that's patterned, I thought he's been doing this since August 15th. And it, you know, now it's October 1st and he's still doing the same thing. He's getting out of the same bed, walking the same trail to the same food plot. And then when the morning comes, he gets out of that food plot, walks that same trail back out and back into that bed. And slower, I I was slow to realize and recognize that those patterns are short-lived. And um, if you're not looking out for what's happening, then you could really miss some of the best hunting that's out there. And it's almost one of those reasons where if you've got a week to hunt or four or five days that you can, that you can string together, you really might be more well off to take that time and use it for an early season hunt, as opposed to using it for a rut hunt, because the weekend warrior who has to adapt every Saturday to what has changed over the last week in the early season, that guy's going to struggle. He just is though. You might show up and that, that persimmon tree that was starting to drop last week, they're all gone now. Or those acorns that were starting to fall last week, well, they're they're gone. And now it's yep. on to something different. And you're hunting last week's program when, you know, things are very different now. So, uh, yeah. Dude, I, I'll never forget. I, I, I can't remember when this was. This is probably 10 years ago. We were hunting in, uh, uh, in North Dakota on the opener. So you're talking August 31st, September 1, whenever it early velvet hunt, right? Yep. And, you know, hunting river bottom whitetails and my buddies and I were out there, you know, glass and set up glass set up kind of deal. What, you know, what river crossing are they on? Whatever. And there were a couple of other guys in the camp from Minnesota and they brought out kayaks and they brought out a bunch of trail cameras. And so they were kayaking in, looking at these river crossings in person, you know, and, and hang a camera and then they'd go back and check them the next day. And I talked to them and I was like, well, how much time do you guys have? And they said they had four days. And I was like, well, what, what good is that trail <laughs> camera situation going to do you? I mean, you're, you have to think about that kind of stuff, right? right? Like how do you, you know, those guys had no, they're like, I'm going to get after this super hard. We're going to bring our kayaks out there on a river that you can 
walk with knee high rubber boots for 73 miles and not get wet, you know, <laughs> in addition to being on Western white toes where you can climb up a bluff and glass for a mile in each direction and right. see 20 river crossings in real time. Mm. You know what I mean? And so I think, I think we often think, okay, there's this standard, right? Like if you take that, that jury brothers example, there's, there's food plots, there's highly managed private land, tons of trail camera usage, and a situation where, yeah, those bucks could come into that food plot every day because nothing's messing with them. Low predator like numbers. It's it's a consistent lifestyle. And for five years or six years, those bucks have done that with no negative repercussions. Right. Then you go out on public land and you're like, okay, that buck, ever since he's been a fawn, has been a target of X amount of predators, you know, two and four legged every day and predictability in their world is a good way for them to get killed. And right. I, I don't think we give this enough credit to whitetails. I was thinking about this with my Northern Wisconsin stuff, the, the properties over there that I can run cameras on there. It is very inconsistent all the time. Like there, I, I will get bucks in the same area, but to get them doing the same thing a couple of days in a row is almost non-existent. And I wonder like when you hunt high country mule deer out West, you can, you can watch those deer. If you're in an area with a lot of lions, they show you like body language that they're concerned about that predator, like how they bed and how they move. And they're, they're pretty inconsistent sometimes in some of the stuff they do. And I think that's because when they do the same thing over and over, somebody figures it out that tries to eat them. Right. And I don't <laughs> think we give deer white tails any credit for that because we can watch these, you know, essentially, clueless whitetails on tv all the time doing stuff that's very predictable because they don't have to worry about getting killed until they're big enough and then we decide to kill them but out there where there's a lot of predation and a lot of hunting pressure that's their number one concern and so i kind of think that some of that plays into how often deer use a certain trail or in it and they probably don't even know they're doing it they probably just instinctively do that like right. they probably just instinctively travel a little bit different routes or don't do the same thing over and over or bed the same spot every time because the more that they do the exact same thing, the more somebody who wants to kill them is going to figure it out. Right, right, man. That's good stuff. That And we, we see that across species, like you said. We see that in white and in, uh, in mule deer. We see that in turkeys down in Florida. Like, you know, <laughs> South Florida turkeys do not gobble the same as yep. Easterns here in Georgia. Why is that? Well, a lot of speculation that it has to do with, with cats, you know, big cats down there that, that will, that will be their demise pretty quick. Uh, Tony, man, this has been a good conversation. What do you got going on this fall? Well, uh, you know, the, the usual whitetail stuff in Minnesota and Wisconsin, uh, my, my daughter and I have a bear tag, so we'll be have bear tags, I should say. So we'll be working on that in Wisconsin. Uh, I'm actually doing a pretty cool public land, uh, Oklahoma hunt in October with a guy who people are going to be very surprised to see bow hunting public land uh -oh. <laughs> white tails. Uh -oh. <laughs> so I'm, I'm real curious about that one. And I'm going to do a, a North Dakota hunt on public land, try to kill some white or kill a white tail there. So I, nothing major, you know, this, this bear situation. And then my daughter's hunting has, you know, kind of, <laughs> narrowed my it's closed my aperture a little bit like i can't go do the western thing as much just just from a timing perspective this year so it's 
it's going to be a lot of closer to home stuff and a lot of Midwest whitetails. And this bear thing is going to going to eat up a lot of time. Right. It's awesome how how kids starting to hunt changes things in in all the right ways, like in all the best ways. And like, yeah, there's part of you that's just like, man, I wish I could go chase elk or whatever. Like you wouldn't have it any other way. Like for me here in Georgia this year, this spring, I hunted turkeys for myself one day in Georgia, one day. Um, Outside of that, it was all about the kids. And I look back on my season and I'm like, I wouldn't have it any other way. Like, yeah, I got to go to Iowa for myself. I got to go to Wisconsin for myself. But at the end of the day here in Georgia, I wouldn't have spent my time any different. Than, yep. than chasing these these turkeys around with these kids. So, uh, Tony, man, appreciate your time. Where can folks find more from you? Uh, TheMeatEater.com. Everything's at, at MeatEater. So all the articles, podcasts, videos, everything is over there now. Awesome, buddy. Appreciate your time today. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. That's all for this week's episode. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. If you dig this show, be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever it is that you get your podcasts. If you could leave us a five-star review, I would very much appreciate that. While you're at it, you can follow along with my outdoor adventures on Instagram at How to Hunt Deer. That's also the best way to get a hold of me. Suggest topics that you want to hear, guests you want to hear from, or questions that you'd like me to explore on the show. Big thanks to our partners, Tacticam, Huntworth, and Onyx. Please go support the brands that support this show and help me bring you great content each and every week. If you're looking for more outdoor content, check out thesportsmansempire.com where you're going to find my other podcast, The Wisconsin Sportsman, as well as a ton of other awesome outdoor podcasts.